You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. It's so easy to retaliate, especially when you are convinced you are right and they are wrong. Especially when maybe you are right and they are wrong. Was Jesus right? Come on. Of course he was. Did he ever do anything wrong? No. Guess what? Got him crucified. It's important to keep your desire for retaliation at bay. Times will come up throughout your life where you'll feel the need to really show others who's right. When these times come, it's important that you first look to Jesus and ask if your desire for revenge will contribute to His kingdom. Pastor Danny teaches you today the need to know when to take a stance and when not to. He reminds you that sometimes, even if you're right and justified for action, it's best to retreat and to hold your tongue. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Nehemiah chapter 6 as he continues his message, Schemes of the Enemy. Pastor Damian Kyle, Calvary Chapel, Modesto, California, was speaking. You know, you don't remember most of what you hear in a message or at a conference, but you get every now and then over the years of time little nuggets, little nuggets of truth. And I got a nugget from Damian Kyle. At the end of his message, here's what he said. He said, you take care of your character. God will take care of your reputation. That's a great statement. You take care of your character. God will take care of your reputation. Funny, I was talking to Jairus, my son, not long ago, and he was telling me about a movie he saw. I don't remember the movie or anything, but he, he said in this movie, one of the characters made this statement, and here it is. Reputation is what people think about you. Character is who you really are. And as long as you know You're right with God. Your motives are pure. And you're doing as best as you know the work that God's called you to do. Don't give in to the false accusations. Don't give in to the innuendo. But there's another one. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it'll not be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. I prayed. Strengthen my hands. Then he adds with that, verse 10, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his house. Why is he shut in? Not because he's old, because he's in fear. Or at least that's what he's saying. How do you know that? Read the rest. 
He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let's close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they're coming to kill you. Come with me, save your life. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Here's the third tactic of the enemy. Intimidation. Fear. And it works so many times. It works so many times. The proverb says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will stop you from any forward movement for God. Shemaiah was a fellow Jew, someone you think could be trusted. But the enemy has planted him there to try to get Nehemiah to give in to fear and run and hide. Nehemiah says it won't do it. It's so cool what God would do before the Israelites would go out to battle in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 20 tells us. Deuteronomy chapter 20. This is so practical. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, don't be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you're going to battle against your enemies. Don't be faint-hearted or afraid. Don't be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. The officers shall say to the army, has anyone built a new house and not dedicated it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else may dedicate it. In other words, if your new house is more important to you than the battle, just go home. Just go home. Take care of your house. God's looking for just a few good men. Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. If your vineyard is more important, just go home. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? You're in love. You're planning on getting married. Let him go home. Or he may die in battle and someone else marry her. If your romantic dreams are more important than what God's called you to, just go home. Just go home. And then the officer shall add, is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. Because fear and intimidation spreads like wildfire. Don't give in to it. But there is a fourth. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 14. Nehemiah prays again, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah. We don't know anything about her except that she prophesied against Nehemiah. And the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. False prophets. This one you might miss unless you stop and think about it. What's this one? Provocation. Because all the enemies saying about you, and all the false accusations, and all the innuendo, what the enemy wants us to do is retaliate. Your husband is so wrong, and you are so convinced he's so wrong, and he may be wrong. We usually are. 
Your wife is so wrong and you're so convinced she's so wrong and she will not obey Ephesians. Wives, submit to your husbands and everything. And you preach to her, you bring that scripture up regularly. It's so easy to retaliate, especially when you are convinced you are right and they are wrong. Especially when maybe you are right and they are wrong. Was Jesus right? Come on. Of course he was. Did he ever do anything wrong? No. Guess what? Got him crucified. Peter uses Jesus as an example. And he says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Instead of going and focusing on responding to the enemy and reacting to the enemy, what Jesus did is he went to his father. You know what Nehemiah did? Instead of responding to the enemy and retaliating against the enemy, he went to God. Remember Tobiah and Sam Ballad, oh my God. Paul did the same thing. I made note of 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 14, Paul says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Listen to me. Listen, I need to hear it too, but listen. You do not need to defend yourself. That doesn't mean we don't need to sometimes sit down and hear both sides of an issue that's causing problems in relationships. That's needed. While that's needed, what we must not do is retaliate. Take it to the Lord. Take it to God. And the best thing you can do when the enemy's coming at you with these kinds of things, is shut your mouth and get on your knees. Stop talking. Because here's what happens. They're wrong. You know they're wrong. And you're going to share with your friends your issue. And you love it when they nod and say, yeah, I know. I, that's what I, I agree with you. And then you get your people that are agreeing with you and their people on that side agreeing with them. And what do you have there? Division should never happen in the church. But we're here this morning in this building because it happened, happened to me. And I've lived through it and it's painful. It's so painful. God help me. God help us. <sighs> Don't... Let the enemy entice us into this attitude of retaliation. Take it to God and trust your life to him and entrust the issue to him. Jesus was crucified for things he never, ever did. Who do we think we are? I want to become like him. Instead of opening my mouth and trying to get people on my side, I go to God and say, God, you know the truth and you know my heart. And you know my motives. Help me to take care of my character. And you'll take care of my reputation. Well, there's one more. And it's one not to be missed. Nehemiah chapter 
6, and this fits right in with provocation. <laughs> oh, man. Verse 15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. That's record time. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. But even though the wall is complete and just a little bit of work left to do, you think the enemy's done? Nah. <laughs> also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Arah. We don't know anything about the guy except he was a very well-to-do, influential Jew. And his son, Jehohanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Well, why is that a big deal? Because you go back to Nehemiah 3, and Meshulam, son of Berechiah, was one of those working on rebuilding the walls. He was involved in the work under Nehemiah's leadership. And he married into the family of the enemy. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds. What do you got, what do you got such issues with Tobiah for? Why do you say such negative things about Tobiah? He's a good guy. He's a scoundrel. And then they told him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. <laughs> you talk about a scheme of the enemy. <laughs> now we have somebody who was actually involved in the work of rebuilding the walls under Nehemiah's leadership. He marries into the family of the enemies of God. And there's this talk. And people that are influential, they're saying, what are you saying things about Tobiah for? What are you saying? such negative? He's, not, he's a good guy. And so you have infiltration. Infiltration. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 36, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Listen, it can happen in your family. All of a sudden, your daughter or your son marries somebody, and they don't, they don't know the Lord. And the enemy loves that because he will use now a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, somebody in your family who do the same thing in the church. He loves to infiltrate. That's what we do in military strategy. We get spies and we go in and we get double agents and, or whatever. We go in and infiltration. Now I'm going to give you one more. And this is all throughout the chapter. You know what it is? It's the worst news of everything I could share this morning about schemes of the enemy. This is the saddest news. This is, this is the most challenging. What is it? The enemy's persistent. He's tenacious. Temptation in the wilderness. Jesus won a tremendous victory. Jesus is at his weakest point, humanly speaking. He's fasted for 40 days. He's as weak as he can be, but he's strong spiritually. And he wins the battles, and it wasn't just one battle. For 40 days, he was tempted in the wilderness in every way you can be tempted. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And then the devil. You had, boy, the devil had to be ticked and he had to be disappointed. When he lost, he wasn't able to get Jesus to succumb to the temptation. And he's probably, you, you probably think he'd go away and say, we're never, we're never battling with that guy again. He's too tough. That's not what he did. 
Luke tells us he left him until an opportune time. Which, by the way, isn't it interesting how Satan finally got to Jesus? Through a member of the church. You ever stop and think about that? His name's Judas, and nobody saw his true colors except Jesus. Nobody. Nobody. He infiltrated. And that is how he put Jesus on the cross. But in putting Jesus on the cross, it sealed Satan's fate. And you want to defeat Satan, the ultimate way to defeat Satan, follow Jesus to the cross. That's what it takes. When they're talking about you and you're like, what? They're questioning your motives. There's all the gossip. They're looking to ruin your reputation. You take care of your character. God will take care of your reputation. The enemy is not going to give up. And not only will he try a new tactic and a different door, sometimes he waits years and he brings the same one that failed 20 years ago and he brings it back and he says it failed last time, it might work this time. He's tenacious. Last thought. You put all this together in Nehemiah chapter 6, schemes of the enemy, and here's what you conclude. The enemy works through people. I wish that the only time you have to deal with the enemy in regards to people is when we leave the church gathering and the ministry and just have to deal with the enemy through people that don't know Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Some of the greatest battles we face are right here in the church. Don't become distracted. Martha, Martha, (laughs) you're so busy in ministry but you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. Don't stop ministering. Don't stop doing. But make sure you get your priorities right. Sit at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> Most difficult part of church work is the people. It's the people. Most difficult part of family life is my wife. <laughs> really the kids. They're much worse than her. Well, I got in trouble on that one. I guess we're going to have to apply some of this stuff, aren't we? The good thing is we're doing great. But in the family of God, let me tell you something. As your pastor, I have never tried to make a message fit what's going on in the church. I have never tried to take advantage of this stage in regard to what's going on in the church. But I'm telling you, You could not have planned a more timely word from God than Nehemiah chapter 6. Not only for us as a church, but I've had people coming up every service, things going on in their home, things going on in their marriage, things going on in relationships, things going on at work. But here's what we need to guard against. Don't allow the enemy to divide us. Don't let him do that. Personality conflicts, disagreement, different perspective, all these things. And as we move forward in the work that God has called us to, our greatest challenge is maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And to keep loving one another, even though we're sometimes unlovely. To forbear with one another in love. Don't let the enemy 
divide us. Here's how I felt led to close. I, I love the Latin type prayer. I love it when we all gather together and pray out loud together. I just love that. And, I, and while I love that, I felt strongly led that the way we're going to close this morning is just as you're sitting there, allow me to use the microphone. And you pray in your spirit as I lead with the microphone. And the heart of the prayer is what Nehemiah prayed. Lord, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Now, now, before I pray, let me say one last thing. Look, we're still, on, we're still in legal time here. I'm going to let you out on time. But as a pastor, I know what it is to be physically tired. I go away from three weekend services, and, and this, this drains me. This drains me. I, I, I get tired, physically tired. But let me, tell you, let me tell you what tires me more than the physical tiredness of doing three services a weekend. What tires me more is the emotion of dealing with people. And here, you know, you got squabbles and you got issues and you got relational problems and you got new staff and leadership and all the things that come with that. And the more squabbles that are started because of that. And I love all of you. And the weight, the emotion, the lack of sleep sometimes where you want to sleep so bad and you're so physically tired, but you're so drained emotionally by all the people stuff. But listen, you have issues in your marriage, you know what I'm talking about. And you're physically tired, but you're more drained because of the emotional turmoil and the emotional weight. You got kids, and there are issues with the kids. You got issues with your parents. You got issues at work. And all these things in life, dealing with people, just drain you. No doubt, Nehemiah was physically tired, but I tell you what, he was more emotionally tired. I'm convinced of it. And so as I lead us in prayer, pray in your spirit, Lord, strengthen my hands. In other words, strengthen me in every way, Lord. Father, that's our prayer. That's my prayer. As a pastor, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my wife's hands. Strengthen, Lord, the leadership of this church's hands. Strengthen the elders. Strengthen the, the coordinators and all the people that oversee the different areas. Lord, strengthen our hands. Lord, I pray for husbands and wives, and sons and daughters, and brothers and sisters and families, and situations in the workplace, and situations in neighborhoods. Lord, I pray, strengthen our hands. Lord, with the great challenges of dealing with relationships and people, and the way in the enemy schemes to distract us, accuse us falsely, and then sometimes accuse us, and he's right. We need to own up to it. Intimidate us by fear to provoke us into retaliating. And then, Lord, sometimes to infiltrate. Lord, help us to stand against the enemy schemes. Strengthen our hands. Renew our faith. Renew our strength. And may before we open our mouths, we seek you on our knees. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you that we can trust you in regard to these challenges. Help us to never lose that focus. In Jesus' name, amen.
Pastor Danny has been walking you through several books of Scripture in a study called Gleanings from the Old Testament. He's been highlighting important stories and characters, demonstrating how they fit in God's kingdom plans. These people you've been meeting didn't have the benefit of the entire Bible to live from. They didn't know Jesus personally. They only had the promise of salvation to come. In fact, many of the people you'll continue to learn about had to trust God to fulfill the promises that He had made to them, even though they wouldn't be fully realized even in their lifetime. God continues to make promises today to you and to other faithful followers. Those things may be fulfilled while you're still alive, but it's possible that the promise is something for the future, something that you have a part in but won't see fully until you're with Him in heaven. Today, be courageous, stand firm in what the Lord has told you, and follow Him faithfully anyway. You have a part to play in God's kingdom plan, so walk it out with confidence with your Creator. We're so glad that you joined us today on The Living Word. We'd like to pray for you during this study. Would you send us an email and let us know how we can do that? Connect with us at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Danny next time to continue studying in the Old Testament right here on The Living Word.